Welcome to another edition of Navigating Academia on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. We are diving into the intricate world of academia with none other than Skidmore's professor, Ruth McAdams. Today, she is unraveling the mysteries behind unions and their impact on private institutions, and despite her expertise, is navigating the uncertain currents of academia herself. Ruth teaches primarily first-year students and specializes in 19th century British literature. She never imagined she would need to step into the advocacy role for contingent and adjunct faculty rights. How did you come to help form the first contingent union on Skidmore's campus? I, I did not know much about unions uh, growing up. Uh, my parents, I am from Chicago. Uh, my parents were both like upper middle class professionals and unions were not um, like something I knew much about. Um, and then when I started my PhD at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, um, there, uh, all the grad students are unionized and uh, they've been unionized since the late 1970s. And when the union was having a kind of annual meeting, uh, they invited all the new graduate students to come to the meeting. And um, I didn't know what it was about, but all my friends were going. Um, so I went and got involved then. I, I appreciated the union. I appreciated what it did for us. And then, you know, fast forward till years later, when I got to Skidmore, it dawned on me pretty quickly that non-tenure track faculty at Skidmore lived really difficult lives, that many of them were struggling to make ends meet, given the, the low pay in that really expensive area. And also that many of us were in this state of constant precarity. So we never knew whether we We'd have a job from year to year or semester to semester. And it was, it's hard to live like that. Like, you, you know, you can't plan for the future. If a, if a student asks you to be their advisor, you, you can't say yes, because you don't know if you'll have a job for the four years of that student's college career. Um, and, you know, I would say within about the first year um, that I was here, I um, got to know a few other non-tenure track faculty who, you know, shared my frustrations. And one thing kind of led to another, though it was a really slow and long road. I would say that we began trying to form a union in 2018, and it wasn't until 2022 that we were finally successful. So it's a long story. <laughs> Did you ever imagine that you have to take on this role? No, no, absolutely not. And I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to do this. I really just wanted to pursue my research, my, my area of study, but it absolutely had to happen. Skidmore's non-tenure track faculty needed a union, needed a union. And so I felt myself more and more taking on you know, an important role with, of course, many, many, many others. How many of your colleagues or... How many professors in general do you believe are not fairly compensated for their work? All of them. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> a, a lot. It's a lot. I used to feel that way. Every point in my life, I made a choice that this is what I wanted to do. And there were other things I could have done. I would have been paid a lot better. <laughs> But I really wanted to do this because I loved it. And it took me many years to understand that that love of my work was being taken advantage of by an employer that was eager to pay me as little as they could possibly get away with. What was the process like to begin a union representing 
non-tenure track faculty? So the process began in secret, uh, really um, very clandestinely. Um, and it involved a series of one-on-one -on -one conversations with our non-tenure track colleagues. So for the first four years, the administration did not know what we were doing because our union represents the non-tenure track faculty. We were keeping it a secret within that community. When we reached out to our non-tenure track colleagues, though, there was some reluctance, I would say. I would say reluctance rather than resistance to what we were doing. And the reasons were many, but they often boiled down essentially to fear. People were fearful that that doing this would anger, um, you know, administrators would anger um, our bosses and that we could be retaliated against. I would say another major, major problem that we faced in the early years was that many people who are professors, even non-tenure track professors, really identify with their work. They really value their work. They've made big sacrifices over the years to pursue this career rather than another career. And they really feel that it's a calling. And for some of those people, it could be hard to like wrap their minds around the idea that it was also work um, that needed to be fairly compensated. Um, and so professors often, I would say, particularly at a small liberal arts college like Skidmore, they really identify with the institution and they identify with the college. And so even though the college treats them poorly, they have a hard time speaking up for themselves and advocating for what they need because of because of a long standing relationship that they have to their work. So I would say that those that the fear and this kind of overinvestment in the idea that that you're doing what you love, that those were the two big problems, or, or I would say, I wouldn't say problems, I would say they were just kind of like, um, they were things that we persistently encountered when we would reach out to people who we would think would be really supportive. What other steps um, do you believe that faculty at Skidmore need to take to continue to progress in the union? Yeah, so um, we we voted successfully to unionize in September of 2022. So it has been uh, like just over a year since then. In that time, we've been doing a lot of work. We formed a negotiating committee. We found faculty from across the college, from representative areas, and formed a, a negotiating team. And that team has worked to draft our proposals and to begin bargaining with the administration to reach a collective bargaining agreement. So that process is ongoing. I would say that the first, second, third, and last, and every step, and every step in between, uh, the, whole, the whole thing, the whole process has been about getting to know and to trust your colleagues. So um, in the early phases of organizing, it was hard to find people, um, you know, uh, we're not working, you know, shoulder to shoulder on an assembly line, like, you know, unions did in, in the past, or in manufacturing jobs, like we each these totally isolated lives, these totally isolated jobs, we're not on campus on the same days, we're in different buildings, we don't necessarily know each other, people are in and out. And so forming that community is was was a huge it was the project it was the whole project basically was forming a community and of course you know every community it needs to be nurtured and maintained and that's something that we're uh, you know we're, we're actively working on and we'll need to be working on until the end of time 
honestly is like a very important thing at Skidmore. I, I'm, I'm assuming all college campuses, but it's great to like hear just that it's an active goal to form like a strong bond and strong community. Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, in in some ways, we as non tenure track faculty, we I mean, I think that I think that a union is a community, ultimately. Um, but I also think that we specifically have been eager to use that language because of the way that the administration so often weaponizes it, right? Um, they'll be like, oh, this is, how dare you ask for more pay? This is a community, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, it's, this is also a workplace and, 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 and the workplace is responsible to compensate people fairly. Regardless, you know, I think, you know, I, I, getting, building trust among the, among people that you work with is the, is the fundamental project of forming a union. How do you believe that the union helped to benefit the value of students' education? I really, really feel that uh, unionized contingent faculty is in the best interests of students. Let me give you an example. I mentioned earlier that I teach a lot of these first-year writing classes, so I meet students in their very first semester of college. Just the, you know, a couple of months ago, I was walking down the hallway and I ran into a former student. And she said to me, Professor McAdams, it's good to see you. And I am thinking about declaring uh, an English major. Um, would you be my advisor? And I was, um, I was really touched by this because I, you know, I didn't really know that she had liked my class. <laughs> you never know. Um, and um, you know, I was, I was touched by it, but I, I felt I really couldn't say yes because I don't know if I'm going to have a job for the four years that she'll be at Skidmore. And so what that, what that meant was that I had to say to her, like, you've got to find someone else. And she probably doesn't know anyone else to ask, right? She, you know, first year, first year students in their first semester, like that can be a vulnerable time for, for, for people. And it meant basically that like, you know, the one person that she knew, me, couldn't be there for her, right? I think that that's like stability in the faculty is in the best interests of the students where it's possible, right? So obviously like there need to be NTT faculty or non-tenure track faculty to fill short-term needs when there are short-term needs. But the issue is that what the college is doing is using short-term staffing to fill long-term needs. So I should be able to say to this student that I will be here for four years because I can tell you right now, the teaching I do, it will need to be done four years from now. But the college will not give me that security. They won't even say, if you keep doing a good job, then yeah, you can keep your job. They'll say, no, your job is ending at the end of this year. And then when the, when the year ends, they'll be like, whoops, here's a new contract for next year. And then one year after that, they'll be like, whoops, here's a new contract for next year. They'll never give me the ability to expect that if I continue to do well at my job, that I'll be able to keep it. They'll always treat me as though I'm like about to leave, about to leave, because they're about to not need me anymore. But they'll all, they always need me because they, they, they haven't gotten anyone on a more long-term basis to fill that role. Thank you, Ruth McAdams, and thank you for listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine.